Hi, welcome to the Quipster Film Review Podcast. My name is Vince Leo. I'm the author of the film review website, Quipster.net. Thank you so much for listening. I hope that you enjoy the review that you're about to hear. Those of you who listened to my previous episode know that I mentioned that I was going to be away for a couple of weeks. I took a trip with family to the Bahamas, and it's my first time there. My wife was actually born there, and it was a great experience. I'm back now and ready to review movies. There were no movie theaters whatsoever on the island that we were on, no availability for any of that stuff. So it's been a while since I've actually seen a movie, and the first movie that I saw when I came back is... Atomic Blonde, which I'm going to be reviewing for you in just a moment. I do want to mention for the first-time listeners that I am a film critic who's been doing reviews for over 20 years now. You can read all of my written work at my website. Quipster.net is where to go. Q-W-I-P-S-T-E-R.net. Now, those of you who've seen Atomic Blonde or even just seen the trailers or know what it is, it's an action thriller that stars Charlize Theron. And it's an R-rated film. It has sequences of strong violence, language throughout, and some sexuality and nudity. It runs an hour and 55 minutes. In addition to Theron is James McAvoy with supporting roles going to Toby Jones, John Goodman, Sophia Boutella, and Eddie Marsan. The director here is David Leach, his first time as a director, uh, solo director, I should say. He co-directed John Wick. Kurt Johnstad writes the screenplay, and it is adapted from the comic called The Coldest City by Anthony Johnston and Sam Hart. This film is set in Berlin back in 1989. That's shortly before the collapse of the Berlin Wall, actually within a few days. We find an MI6 agent named Lorraine Broughton, who is played by Theron. She's on a mission to try to get a much sought-after, highly classified list of spies who are working for Western agencies around the world. It's kept within the case of a luxury watch, and she wants to prevent it from going to the KGB, and probably meaning the deaths for all of those agents who are on that list. The film operates in flashbacks as we see the bruised and very fatigued agent divulging the details of her botched mission to her immediate superior, played by Toby Jones, as well as to a bigwig in the CIA, played by John Goodman. And we learn of her covert mission to acquire the list. Initially, she's assigned to work with the chief operator in Berlin named David Percival, played by James McAvoy. In the meantime, they have to contend with dangerous Soviet operatives, as well as the East German military, Stasi officers, and rumored unknown double agent working on both sides of the wall. As I mentioned, this one's loosely based on the graphic novel The Coldest City, and it's a spy thriller genre exploration within the Cold War environment. It particularly exploits its period with the music, the attitudes of the 1980s for a lot of its aesthetic punch. We see graffiti, we hear all of these songs, some of the styles. It definitely has a very 80s vibe. And while that may be a nostalgia trip for many people in some regard, the action here is certainly much more modern in its approach. It has a lot of long, seemingly uninterrupted takes, which... These takes obviously have edits, but they did a really great job in hiding them. There are a lot of well-choreographed sequences that I think will remind some viewers of some of the more recent James Bond outings, the Bourne films, certainly, and, of course, Leech's own John Wick. Charlize Theron continues to impress as an action star. She made a splash in that genre as Imperator Furiosa in Mad Max Fury Road, and really stole the show to a large extent. And here she's providing a lot more punch, literally as another badass that can't be bested by all of the male thugs around her who seemingly are not half as skilled or nearly as smart. 
James McAvoy, he's always energetic and charismatic in all his roles. Here he wavers between being perceived as a friend or a foe, which is always what the spies themselves seem to wonder. They wonder if they're doing good works or evil through the success of their mission or the failure. Toby Jones and John Goodman, they provide recognizable faces. I wouldn't say that their performances here are anything worth going out of your way for if you're fans of theirs. Sophia Butella, she gets some screen time as a woman with eyes for Lorraine, which is not really a spoiler since it's something that was highly publicized before the release of this film. But her character is interesting because she just might be overwhelmed by the Cold War environment going into the heart of Berlin. So we ha- we really run the range of spies, some who really love being in Berlin in the hotbed of spies and, and living that life, and then others who have much more of a regret for that life. As you would expect from a period piece, there is a very, very 1980s soundtrack, a lot of synth pop. It's an asset, to be sure. Some of the songs are a little bit overplayed, including that nugget from uh, from Quentin Tarantino's Inglorious Bastard, David Bowie's Cat People, Putting Out Fire. Something that was really in obscurity until Tarantino dug it out and now is just as associated with Inglorious Bastards as it is for Cat People, where it was on the original soundtrack. So using it again here seems like it's just copying yet again. The plot, it's a little bit confounding at times. It does offer some takes on the spy game, interesting ones anyway, especially on whether those who are participating in it actually make the world a better or safer place through their actions, or if they're merely perpetuating an escalating series of malevolent acts merely because the other side, whatever that may mean, other side will do it to them first. Also, as the Berlin Wall is about to crumble, it calls them to question the futility of continuing this Cold War as the proverbial ship is sinking for it all, and it traps everyone in this game like rats about to drown into non-existence. So the real question is, what does winning the Cold War even mean anymore? Regardless, no one seems to be able to walk away, especially when they no longer know what side is the right one. Now, where Atomic Blonde falls short from being as good as a James Bond film or a Jason Bourne film is in the way that it constructs this riveting storyline to keep us reeled into the plot beyond standard action thriller cliches. Now, while the film is very much alive during those action moments, including a very stunning and quite brutal fight that lasts several minutes up and down a stairwell and into rooms of an apartment complex and then into a car, once we get back to Talking Heads, this very convoluted plot line and some very thin characterizations, far from able to sustain the momentum that's necessary to keep us on the edge of our seats, even throughout those scenes. So, as such, the pulpy nature of this spy story and the exhilarating forays into Smash Mouth melees feel at odds with one another. The wide tonal shifts between those never really let the film settle into this defined groove that that might sustain it throughout, especially as Leech tries to marry the two competing styles into a unified whole through the climax and the finale and then a fairly superfluous epilogue. And yet, Atomic Blonde does have a lot to offer for genre fans. I think that many will find the lengthy and well-presented action does deliver some top-notch moments that's worth the price of admission to observe alone. And those who relish the throwback to 1980s, the period piece factor, are also going to be impressed with a sense of style and rhythms and music and fashion, enough to find it refreshing in that regard. However, given Leach's persistent lifting of ideas from other well-known movies, which is something that's actually addressed with 
in the film, we see Kurt Loder on an MTV news break talk about how sampling has become in 1989 so prevalent that it that it's become very controversial within the music industry. So too has sampling of other movies become quite prevalent in films, including Quentin Tarantino, who's made really a career out of doing that. We see a lot of the style of Michael Mann in this film, some Brian De Palma, some Steven Spielberg, though I don't think it's as good as any of their highlights. We get a less than interesting plotline involving like a knock list, uh, a list of spies out there. It feels like the one in Mission Impossible, which was a Brian De Palma film, except it's presented in a much more confusing way here. I think savvy cinema goers are going to expect a heavier amount of lulls here than those who just watch a few movies a year especially given that we're in this era of very simplistic action premises that have this dynamic aesthetic when it comes to action. It's very much influenced by video games. People are just used to just a little bit of setup and then these really glorious action scenes nowadays. I'm not really a huge fan of that, but it seems to be the norm for a lot of people. And I think that given the amount of actual talk in this movie, I think some of those viewers who are used to the more modern takes are going to be bored by some of the espionage John le Carre kind of musings on the spy game. It is an exhausting movie, and I would say that both in the positive and negative sense, because it does give you a lot of energy. You feel exhausted by the end of it, and yet with it running almost two hours in length, you feel that too. And so Atomic Blonde is much like the Berlin Wall itself. It's one entity that's separated by these two adverse ideologies, at least within the action movie genre, that don't quite mesh in a very seamless way. So nevertheless, I do think that there's enough here for me to give a modest recommendation for people who are into this kind of movie. I think if you really love the action sequences that Leach provided in John Wick, you're going to get more of that here, even though there's a little bit more overhead in terms of the setup. I'm going to give it three stars out of four. Three stars on my scale means that I do recommend it for genre fans. Probably not much more beyond that. So if you're looking for Charlize Theron kicking butt, you're going to get plenty of that here. And I think that the 1980s retro vibe is going to add enough of a stylistic difference between other movies in this genre for it to find its own niche among action fans. Thanks, everyone, for listening. I hope that you enjoyed this review. If you did, I do encourage you to reach out to me. You can go to my website and find my contact information as well as links to my Twitter feed and Facebook page. If you want to hear more of my podcasting work, I'm also a member of the In Session Film Podcast, specifically the extra film segments of that show. So go to InSessionFilm.com for more details on that. And then until next time, thanks everyone for listening. I hope that you enjoy your time anytime you get to go to the movies. 